God speaks to us in his word in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Morning. Hey, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here and get to serve with a lot of great leaders. Thank you so much for being here today. It is not lost on me that you got up out of bed and decided to come on a really uh, kind of dreary um, fall morning in the middle of December. Not sure what's going on, but welcome to Oklahoma. Um, but glad that you guys are here. If you have any questions about the church, if you have any questions about anything that was said today, um, I would love to personally talk with you. You can email me, I'll be down here after the service and would love to talk with you about Jesus. One quick thing before we jump into um, this really, really light text today <laughs> is, hey, this time of year, there's two times of year, really, where the whole world is thinking about God in some way. Some of them have good thoughts about God. Some of them have indifferent thoughts about God. Most of them, a lot of them in the world, the whole world, um, have angry thoughts about God. But there's only, there's really two times in, that are kind of woven into um, the fabric of society where the whole world is thinking about God. One is Christmas, the other is Easter. And so I wanna invite you to do something. I wanna invite you to do what Ephesians 4 says that I, what is my job to do, which is to put ministry in your hands. I wanna invite you to, according to the Bible, do the work of an evangelist. And you know what that means? You have at least two families, two people in your life that don't know Jesus. Or maybe they don't go to church or maybe they're de-churched or whatever it is. Right now, while they're thinking about God, I wanna invite you to pick up one of these cards. They're invite cards for our Christmas Eve service and be praying for it. That's the first priority. Pray for those people, those two families, those two people in your life. And then also don't just stop there, hand them a card and say, hey, come to Christmas Eve. We're not doing services on the 25th but we're doing services the night before, which would be 12 and three, so I guess afternoon before. And go and invite them and pray for them to come and hear the gospel, and then we'll pray that God will do what only he can do, and I don't know if he will, but we'll just pray that he'll ignite their heart and that he'll take out a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and save them, okay? Can we do that together? If you're a member in this church, this, I love you, I'm not even trying to be boss up here, this is not a suggestion. If you're a covenant member in this church, I'm not suggesting, I'm saying we need to do this together, me included, okay? But the rest of you, I wanna invite you to do it as well. All right, I'm gonna pray for that service. I'm gonna pray for our sermon today as well. And you pray for me as I pray for you guys. God, we do, we look forward to uh, December 24th, Lord. We ask that you would right now be stirring up the people in our life that could come to that. I pray that you would, even now, that you would give people in this room um, just vision and heart and desire and passion and courage to invite those people in their life to come and hear the gospel. And then we just thank you for your word. 
We ask, we ask Holy Spirit for the current of God, for, for that current to be flowing through the room today to where we would, we would listen like we sing, that there would be your kind of, we'd worship as we're listening to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Advent um, is one of my favorite times of year. It's actually new to me. I don't, the word Advent is probably new to a lot of you guys that didn't grow up in a tradition where you said things like Advent or liturgy or church calendar. Well, I remember 15 years ago, I was introduced to the word Advent the same time I was introduced to a church calendar. And I was like, church calendar, what does that mean? Is that literally just the calendar on the wall at the church? I had no idea. I had no grid for historic church practices. I had no grid for the things that had been happening for 2,000 years. I, I believed that we were just these great inventors, that we just came up with stuff all the time, and we were so smart in that way. The truth is, is that the church has been functioning this way for a long time, and Advent was new to me. And for most of my life, or for the rest of that 15 years, really, uh, I kind of spent Advent and kind of saw it like you saw it, which is the four weeks of Christmas. Really, Advent is the run-up to Christmas. It's the leading up. And I was always like, man, this is good because Christmas is so stinking stressful. Any parents in the room say amen to that? I'm looking at my bank account. I'm looking at, it's like the older I get, the more people that expect me to get gifts for them. <laughs> you know? And I People in the room, man, this is what happens in Christmas is there's like we are grateful for the four weeks leading up to Christmas because it lets us settle into our anxiety a little better. Is that what Advent is? I mean, honestly, truly, do we think that that just kind of stops there? Advent, this time when we look back on the birth of Jesus and we sing songs that sound good, but they're not really, I don't really understand them. Joy to the whole world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Does anybody feel like the world's full of joy? How about Hark the Herald Angels sing when it says, um, born, this is about Jesus, born that man no more may die. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. What does that mean? Is, do people die now? Is there joy on the whole world? Do people die currently? Are we still surrounded by murder and death and injustice? Advent for sure is about looking back on the fact that God himself came in the flesh and he really did, which is a total miracle of all miracles that God chose before the foundations of the world to come and be born as a, to put on flesh. That's what incarnation means. The incarnation is Christmas. God was born. He himself was born through a process that he created. That's humility. Then he lived and he died and no doubt about it. And then he was raised again and his body was glorified. And, but even in his glorified body, he still had scars in his hand and on his side. That's amazing. He ascended into heaven. That's amazing. The story of Christmas is absolutely amazing, but we are short on reality if we're acting like everything's good. Come on, man. I know. Look, I'm inviting you in church. Be honest. Be honest in church. I know it ain't, we ain't used to that in the Bible Belt, but I'm inviting you. Be honest. Are we good? <gasps> nope. 
We ain't. So we sing songs and we get ready and Advent is this, we decorate. I love all this stuff, dude. I'm so in on the pageantry of Christmas. You don't even know what Christmas does to me. I just watch, I could watch a Christmas story a hundred times a day. I just love that movie. I'm glad that they put it on loop. But there's something wrong with our reality. Advent traditionally was about the birth of Jesus, but it was also about the thing that those songs were primarily written for, which is the fact that he will come again. And we live in this tension now that Jesus has come and that he will come again. It's the already happened, the kingdom of God inaugurated, the kingdom of God in Jesus born. But guess what? We're still not quite fully there yet because he will return. So what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at Advent, which means the word, means arrival or coming. We've been taking a look at his first Advent, his first coming in Jesus, the baby in the manger, but then his second Advent, which he will come a lot different than when he came the first time. The second Advent on a white throne of judgment, riding a white horse in a white robe, which has been dipped in blood with a a sword drawn. And his eyes are like flame and he's got the Shekinah glory and the host of heaven and he's coming back to finally shut the mouth of the enemy once and for all and defeat him, to throw death and Hades in the lake of fire. But he's also coming back to claim his people. We have been saved, we will be claimed. That's what Advent is. So the first week we looked at Christ's return. The second week, which was last week, we looked at what happens with our body, the resurrection of the body. And today we're gonna look at this very sobering reality, there will be a judgment day when all of us in this room, you, me, all of us outside of this room, the Pope, every murderer, everybody who's ever been born and died will stand before God. And we'll give an account for how we lived and what we believed. That is a biblical fact. There is absolutely no way around it. We hate the idea. We hate the concept. Judgment is a thing. Justice is a thing that the church has closed its mouth on. But it's in our heart. It's in our being. We cry out for it, man. We cry out for justice. We cry out for rights to be, wrongs to be made right. That's what we cry out for. And the church has kind of forgotten to talk about it or been scared to talk about it. In the seeker-sensitive movement, we love to talk about things like God's great mercy for you. It's true, man. His unconditional love for you, that's true as well. But separate from his power, which is how can an all-powerful, all-knowing God also not be judge? Those two things are synonymous. Where the church has closed its mouth, culture has picked it up. We love judgment. We just don't like to be the ones that receive it. But we love to pass it on. Cancel culture. So quick. So quick to jump the gun. So quick to look, point everybody else. You know what that does for us? When we get behind a keyboard and we love to jump on board with canceling anybody or some sort of, social justice movement or whatever it is, social media. 
What that does for us, the reason why we love it is because it diverts attention away from us. We adopt phrases like, only God can judge me. (laughs) I mean, yeah, but we're missing the point. The church has grown silent on judgment. Everybody loves to judge everybody because it diverts attention away from them. The idea of judgment has been taken on as in place of the idea of justice, which the two of those things should be synonymous. Fairness should be at the heart of judgment. Justice, we need fairness, judgment, and justice. It's what's in us that cries out, that was wrong when we see something like that. That is wrong. It's why I watch just rolls and rolls of YouTube videos about dogs that have been rescued. <laughs> it's like my pastime to get on there and just see animals being rescued. And automatically I think, well, who did this? What terrible, diabolical human being did this to this sweet little baby duckling? That was the most recent one. There's something in us when we look at murders, when we look at how innocent people are treated, when we think of things that are so terrible like human trafficking. Come on, when I, when I tell you those words, what rises up in you? Justice. What, what's going to happen to that person? It's why we hate it, man, when we trust people, we trust government officials, we trust people that we've elected, people that are supposed to be a certain way, when we find out that they've been unjust, when we find out the leaders in our life who are supposed to be just, supposed to be a righteous judge, when we find out about them, we go, man, I don't trust authority. This isn't right. Somebody's got to come and make it right. There's a thing in us that cries out for it. We were made for it, man. We were made for justice. Our hearts say, where is a judge who is also just? Somebody's gotta put right the wrongs. That's why it's important for us to know the truth. God is just and he will also judge. Romans 2 For God shows no partiality. He is a righteous, pure, true judge. Advent means this, that God has shown up for sure. He's waged war on Satan's sin and death, and he will also come again to judge, to claim those that belong to him, to set right all the wrongs that have ever been done in all of history. A true judge, a righteous judge, the only one that can do it. So what does it mean for us? I wanna invite you to take notes today. I wanna invite you to pay attention to the screen today because this is really important. This informs the way that we live our life now. And it means this. What does it mean that God himself will judge the living and the dead one day throughout history? It means this, first and foremost, your life matters. It matters. How you live right now, what you do with your life, with your body, with your heart, with your soul, in relationships, in work, what you do with your money, how you view any of that, Your life right now matters. Here's the bottom line. We are not nothing. We are not nothing. Life is not nothing. It counts. Justice is coming. Our life has meaning. Without justice, none of it would matter. 
You could either be Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa. It wouldn't matter. Your life matters. All of it. How we spend, how we treat each other, what we believe. We look at the people around us created in the image of God. There is a true and sobering fact. The person right next to you, the person that you dissed earlier this week, the person that you haven't talked to in a while, the person that you've been bitter towards, the person that you love, the person that you love to hang out with. Both of those people have an equally true and equally important fact about them. They are immortal people. They are eternal people. Image bearers of God. People made in God's image. The people around you. Beings created by God and for God. One day they will be judged. Their life will. C.S. Lewis' book, The Weight of Glory, he says this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you ever talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Eternal beings created by God and created for forever. There's an urgency to this message. There's an urgency to that thought that you have one life. You've only got one. Hebrews talks about it's a point for every man to die and then judgment. Our lives matter greatly. Each of us have responsibility for how we steward our lives. That's each of us. Paul writing to the Romans. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's throughout the Bible. Multiple times accountability is talked. And it's written to Christians. We will give an account. Our life matters. How we spend our life matters. How we live our life matters. Not merely spiritual, but physical as well. We're easily swayed towards Hellenism. It's this idea that we've been learning about in 1 Corinthians where the body and the spirit should be detached from each other. You can do whatever you want with your body. And I'm not talking about you should eat more salads and work out more. I mean, you join the club. I mean, Lord knows, I should be, I'd be the first one. This would be the most hypocritical sermon of all time. If I was, that's what we were talking about. I'm talking about what you do with your body, how you treat people, sex, work, things we do with our money, the things we do with our job, how we bless people, how we cultivate the ground. Our bodies matter. God became flesh and will forever be flesh. That says something about our bodies. The Bible speaks about stewardship of our bodies, in particular as it pertains to sex again and how we treat each other. For instance, 2 Corinthians 5, which is written to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We are not nothing. Life is not nothing. It matters. How we live now matters. 
The second is this. Justice is coming. We can bank on it. In Acts 17, you've got this story of Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Paul is in Athens, Greece, which at the time would have been seen as like the cultural mecca of the world. It's New York. It's Times Square. The Areopagus was the place in the center of the city where a lot of thought and commerce and trade would have happened. People from all over the world. And the Greeks, man, they loved them some them. (laughs) They loved their own thoughts. They loved their own intellect. They worshipped it. They worshipped a myriad of other gods, but none more than themselves. Plato, Socrates, all of these who were great thinkers of the day, they loved their own brain. And so they would sit at this Areopagus, this place, and they would debate, and they would worship the intellect, and they worship minds. We've learned a lot about this in 1 Corinthians if you've been here for any sort of time. And here comes Paul, who, by the way, was not a great public speaker. <laughs> and Paul stands up in this Areopagus, in this middle of Times Square, and he says this, and it sobers them up. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man that he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In the middle of a self-worshiping society, he tells them, it doesn't matter what you think or what you know. The times of ignorance God overlooked, they're done. This is not any more of that I didn't know. This is not any more of that no one told me. I don't know how to work this out. This is a great mystery to me, but the Bible talks about, in Romans, it talks about all creation pointing to God. Nothing has changed in 2022. We love us some us. We love our own thought. This message that God will judge the world, it's abrupt. It hits us. It makes us lay down our own intellect. We're in the heart of culture wars, real wars, commerce, enterprise, and people who love themselves. It's every bit as relevant today. God commands all people to repent. Because why? Because justice is coming. And he shows no partiality. Again, the times of ignorance God overlooked, I didn't know is not acceptable. Ph- philosophical jujitsu, where we create God in our own image. We treat him like some origami, this bird, this crane that we make. That's a beautiful piece of art, but it can't fly. We make God, we form him in our hands. This philosophical way, this puzzle that we put together that we want a God that looks like us. That gives me what I want. But the fact is, is there is one God and he is who he is. He tells us that in the Bible, I am that I am. The times of ignorance God overlooked. He knows, he sees, and is active, but not anymore. This is why, listen to me. This is why things like deconstruction, deconstruction is not cute. That's why that sort of thing in our culture today 
that's just become a cultural thing that people do. That's why it's not cute. God will come to judge as a righteous, pure, impartial judge. Rebellion's not cute. Justice is coming. True justice. He's not passive. He's not an indifferent God. He cares. It matters. He shows no partiality. Acts 17, he is fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness. That means this, all evil acts ever. Everything, all evil things and evil people, all things in general will be judged in righteousness. It's a sobering thought for us today that everything, everything will be brought to light and righteousness will be the standard. Uh, Luke 12 says it this way. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. What you have whispered? I mean, come on. This is the Bible. I, what we have whispered in the, everything? It'll be proclaimed. It, what we have said in the dark will be brought to light. What we have thought, I mean, I don't, I don't, come on, go there with me. I mean, just think about the things that you think. The things that I think. There's times when th thoughts come into my head and I'm like, what in the world? That's not me at all. I don't know where that thought came from. Those things? I'm trying to get you to see, like, I don't, I I wouldn't have written it this way. I would have given myself several outs because I know me. This is intense. Everything will be brought to light. I say it because it reconciles the truth. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then he must be completely just. He's got to know everything. On that day, he will, as a righteous judge, he will expose every unjust thing ever done in the world, in private, in secret, in our heart, in our mind, and said. Which begs the question, do any of us stand a chance? Do you stand a chance? I don't. I don't stand a chance. <laughs> if my thoughts, I mean, I, I could sit with you like I do and I could count all of the things that I've thought and said or done or the wickedness in my own heart that comes out of nowhere and it's just a fact. It is a fact. If that's what it's gonna be, we have no chance. There's absolutely no way that I'm gonna pass as righteous on that day before a God who sits on a white throne. I mean, a white throne, a holy throne. This isn't kind of like off-white, like the walls need some cleaning, maybe just you know a little bit beige. It's not that kind of thing. This is a white that you can't look at and it represents the holiness of God. It's the glory of God. There is a righteous 
judge sitting on a throne that is so holy that we can't even look at it. No sin can be anywhere around that. That guy's judging. How is it that the Bible talks about Judgment Day as a day of hope? How? That's how it talks about it. A day of hope for the Christian. How do we look forward to it? And it's this, it's simple. It is a day of hope, but there is no, listen to me, man. I I have a job to do, and especially facing the reality that we We're gonna live, we're gonna die, and then there's judgment. I'm telling you my duty to tell you this one thing. It's so simple, but it is the most important and profound thing you'll ever hear in your life. There is one way. There is no other way. There's only one way. There's only one way that we can have any hope on that day. And that is simply this, to bank, to fully bank, to put all of your hope, trust, every ounce of Hope that you have has to go in this one thing. I'm banking on Jesus. My hope is in Christ, the end. There is absolutely no other way. Hope in the one who sits on the throne. That's it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence. This is the presence of Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. A cursed world, a cursed earth that has given way to thorns and thistles because of what happened in Genesis three. Now even the curse can't be in God's presence because He has fixed a day in Acts 17 on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ is the judge, which is the absolute, listen to me, that is the best news in the room for any of us today, that Jesus himself, the one who the Bible describes as a sufficient high priest, The one who the Bible says prays for us day and night. The one who Isaiah described as wonderful counselor and prince of peace. He's the one seated on the throne. You have one hope, but it's better than anything we could ever come up with. Our hope is in Christ. The end. The end. N.T. Wright says it this way. This is so beautiful to me. The one through whom God's justice will finally sweep the world is not a hard-hearted, arrogant, or vengeful tyrant, but rather the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. The Jesus who loved sinners and died for them. The Messiah who took the world's judgment upon himself on the cross. Of course, this also means that he is uniquely placed to judge the systems and rulers that have carved up the world. All of that means that there's really only one person who can even pass judgment day. There's only one, Jesus. And because of what he's done, because he lived perfect, because of that, God has given him the name above every name. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord. You have an invitation to confess it now.
The truest act of the Christian life is to continually trust, believe, and bank on Jesus. Place all of our hope and trust in this life and the life after. It's all we've got. All that sin, all of that unholiness, all of that confusion and unrighteousness has to go somewhere. It has to be placed somewhere. It's either gonna fall on your head or it's gonna fall on his. There's no other way. Man, grace is crazy like that. (laughs) You've never seen or met anybody in your life like Jesus. He has acted in such a way that cannot be reasoned with. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I cannot logically try to explain to you scientifically what God has done. I can't do it. It makes no sense what he's done for us. He came and has taken, he will forever be scarred. Do you understand that? He is forever the sacrificial lamb. We get glorified bodies if you're in Christ. His glorified body still has him as a sacrificial lamb. That's eternal. Jesus came and he took the punishment that you deserved and, got the, and gave you the reward that only he deserves. I, grace is crazy. I mean, it, I'm saying that sincerely. This is illogical. You have one hope, and it's way better than you can ever imagine. Your one hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. That's it. To bank on him, to trust him, to give him your life. And Jesus said it. He said, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Advent is us looking at the scandal, and it is the scandal of grace, that God would come in the flesh, that he would be born and dwell among us, that he would live perfectly, that he would work as a carpenter, that he would heal the sick and raise people from the dead and cast out demons and then be brutally murdered. And be raised, that's the incarnation, that's the life of Christ. And then one day come again to bring justice, to judge the living and the dead. The man of sorrows acquainted with grief. If you're in Christ, this is the best day. It's the day you look forward to. That's why there's no fear for us. We don't show up representing ourselves. We show up on the ground just going like, I, I believe today just as much as I've ever believed. I have one hope in life and death. And it's that man on the throne. If it's, it's him, if he's trustworthy, if he's true to what he promised me, if I believe in him, I will not perish but have everlasting life, then I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad he's not like me. I'm glad he's true to his word all the time and faithful. This is why the angels could come and they would say this when they announced Jesus' birth in Luke 2, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's good news because it's a Savior. We need a Savior. And later on they would go on to say a couple verses down, The host of angels came up and announced God's birth and worship. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How do I get to be in that category? How do I get to be in the category of God's pleased with me? You know how? Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith, banking on, trust in Jesus. That's it. It's great news for the Christian today. It's sobering for all of us. Look, you are not nothing. Created by God and for him. And I would invite you, stop being silly. Stop being silly. Look to Jesus. He's it. You don't have to look to him perfectly. Look to him imperfectly. Come with imperfect faith, but bank on him. Even if you have this much of a fire left, just go, man, I want to ask him to fan it into flame. He's faithful to this much of a fire. It's the gospel, man. It also means that we need to get to work. Listen to me. Your life matters. The people around you, it matters. If what I'm telling you is true, then we need to go open our mouth and tell people, you need Jesus. Come, hear the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. Let me invite you into my house. Let me go up and down my street. Let me invite people to Christmas. Let me do whatever I need to do. Let me just talk to my, let me talk to my people, my family, my friends that don't know them because this is happening. This is happening. There's an urgency. It's both urgent and then also for us, no fear. God's in control. We sing about it. We want to live in the reality of it. Let's stand together. We're going to do something that's going to be abnormal for a lot of you. We're going to worship in a song, but we're not going to sing the song. We're going to say the song in prayer. Recite it. If you go ahead and put that up. Let's say it together. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Okay, let's close our eyes. I'll give you opportunity in silence that probably the Lord's moving in some of you and I wanna just invite you to listen, pray. Treat it like it's real. Maybe in this moment, it's a moment for you to repent. We're about to take communion together. Maybe that's the moment to repent. Maybe for a lot of us in this room, it's been a lot of games, a lot of cultural Christianity where we just go to church, we say the right things, but we've yet to believe the gospel, yet to lay down our life. If that's you, I wanna invite you to repent and say, I wanna trust Jesus, I really do. Maybe you're thinking right now about your family and friends that don't know him. I invite you to pray for them as well.
We're gonna take communion together. It's an act of repentance. It's an act of remembrance. If you're a Christian in the room, if you've been baptized in the faith, I wanna invite you to come and take this table. If that's not you, if you have not trusted Jesus, then I know it's awkward, but it's one of the most missional things we can do is to put you face to face with the reality that this matters. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not trusted him, please don't take the table. Just stay where you are. We'll have prayers on the screen um, for you to read, for you to pray through, and then I would love to talk with you about Jesus for sure. We'll have a whole bunch of people down front that would love to talk with you. If you're serving the table, go ahead and come forward.